Welcome to the 14th episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them about their starting industry, what their influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on developers themselves, and in the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Chaos Reborn by Snapshot Games. Julian, tell us about yourself, sir. Hello. Well, I've been designing and making video games since, like, forever. Um, well, I, actually, since 1982 is, is when I, I put my uh, start of my career, when I actually started working on a, uh, a not very well-known game called uh, Time Lords, which I designed while I was at school, in fact. Was that uh, on the Spectrum, was it, or the 81? No, that was, on the, that was actually on the BBC Model B. Because Ooh, I had you, a what are those kids? Oh. I, yeah, no, I didn't have one. No, I didn't have one. It was very expensive at the time, but they I had were. a friend who did have one. Uh, I didn't have a computer at all. No. no. I bought anything at okay. the time. Um, you know, my first computer was a ZX81. Me you know? too. Yeah. yeah, so that was... Uh, which which really wasn't a computer, was it? it was... <laughs> well, it was. I mean, once you got the 16K RAM pack and you stuck yeah. that on, you could do something with it uh, yeah. as long as you didn't suffer from the dreaded RAM pack wobble, which made it Yeah, I, I used a combination of Bluetack and a, and, a, and a cassette thing holder to jam it in. Oh, I, I, I practically I, I glued mine to a, a wooden board. That works too? Lightning. Yeah, everything was just glued down. It was... Um, Anyway, so you made this game for the BBC. Um, yeah, so I made that one. yeah, and that was the start of my career. And I, I, I finally got a ZX Spectrum and started working on that. Uh, and right. Basic. And I made a whole bunch of games, um, starting with Nebula, then Rebel Star Raiders, which is probably the spiritual um, origin of, of XCOM there. Uh, and then I made Chaos in 1984. Right. Um, then I went back to science fiction theme with Rebel Star and Rebel Star 2 and then Laser Squad. This was and, on, I'm trying to think, this was on Firebird uh, label, wasn't it? It was. Uh, yeah, the Chaos, uh, yeah, Rebel Star was on the Firebird label. And yeah. Chaos was originally published by Games Workshop, but then republished on the Firebird label. That's right. Yeah. Um, Laser Squad Day was, was our first self-published game, and we had our own company, which was called initially called Target Games and then Mythos Games. Um, but after Laser Squad, we then did um, my most well-known game, which is uh, UFO Enemy Unknown, as yes. it was known in Europe, or XCOM UFO Defense, as it was known in North America. Yeah. Um, and, of course, that was the, the big breakout game for, for me and, and Nick, my brother, who was working with me at the time. And we then followed that up with XCOM Apocalypse, uh, 
there was Terror from the Deep, which is the, the immediate sequel, but that was done by Microprose, and we just licensed the code to them for that. Yeah, it was painfully difficult, that game. No offence. Yes, I had uh, nothing to do with it. I mean, some players like it because of the difficulty. Uh, oh, it was just painful. <laughs> okay. you know, another, I hey, another enjoyed it, but it was like, oh, God, this is punishing. <laughs> but... Um, so, so when you did Apocalypse, okay. I did yeah, it. I did Apocalypse. Then um, we did a game called Magic and Mayhem, which is actually a real-time strategy bias game. Oh, right, yeah. And that was published by Virgin Interactive. I remember and, that. Yeah, that was good. Uh, yeah, it was, it was uh, a bit of a nightmare with the graphics because it was all claymation. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, I would never do that again. No, no, fortunately that's gone out of yeah. thing. That was, yeah, well, if I could go back in time, yeah, yeah, if I could go back in time, I definitely wouldn't do that. Um, but anyway, so uh, but then we had to liquidate uh, Mythos Games because of our, our publisher effectively going sort of bust, mm-hmm. uh, and and we had a four game contract with them, so we couldn't go to anyone else. Um, then I went to. Um, over to doing a direct sales to customers with Laser Squad Nemesis, which was a, a small game made myself by myself and Nick uh, and a friend who programming and, and a few a few others helping with the artwork. Uh, Laser Squad Nemesis was uh, was an amazing project. Really enjoyed it. Had a great community, uh, and it's it was the uh, inspiration for uh, Frozen Synapse, which is a game you might be familiar with. Yes, we um, had we interviewed them previously. We did, they've got Frozen Endzone now. Yeah, yeah. Well, frozen synapse. Basically, the basic idea behind the system is the same as Laser Squad Nemesis. You know, it's yeah. a phase-based, yeah. turn-based game. And um, but after that, we oh, I did a, a GBA game called uh, a Rebel Star again. Got it. Yes. With the other Rebel Star. Oh, you got that one right. Fabulous okay. game. So, yes, yes. So that was um, yeah. So I guess it's kind of like a Laser Squad game, but with a bit mm. more role-playing bent to it. Yeah, uh, with a bit of a story to it. Um, but after that, I moved to Bulgaria and I started working for Ubisoft and mm-hmm. worked on a number of titles at Ubisoft. Perhaps the the most interesting project I worked on there was called Ghost Recon Shadow Wars, which was yep. a title for 3DS. It was great. One of my favourites. On, oh, on, I'm not saying that because you're here. Genuinely. <laughs> well, I'm um, glad somebody's played it. <laughs> no, I, I, I played it on flights because I, I went to E3 and stuff like that. Yeah. And when I'm going on long haul flights, I'm sure you do the same. Is like, oh, I can finally get my teeth into that JRPG or whatever you on the mobile, which they inexplicably be put on mobile platforms. Um, and uh, I've definitely, um, yeah, the Ghost Recon game on a 3DS, that for me, like, yes, I just, oh, yes, this all works. This all makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, stuff. I think it's a very nice game system we came up with here, with there. Yeah. I mean, the, the story wasn't so hot, I must admit. You know, the characters and writing wasn't so hot. Some of the level mm. design was a bit iffy, but. Um, the fundamental core of it underneath was great. Uh, but yeah, Tom yeah. Clancy, what are you going to do? It's, you know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm yeah. not a big fan of his work either. But I like uh, games, you know. No. Um, so uh, then I worked for a little bit as, as creative director on Assassin's Creed 3 Liberation for PS Vita. Um, but I left the project after a year. Okay. Um, although I did work on developing the you know the character and the setting and the story, uh, a lot of the game design elements, the persona system. So I did. Um, mm. So I pretty much uh, worked. Because they the released that, didn't they, on the major platforms, didn't they as well? Like HD uh, version. It has been. Yeah, an HD version has been released recently. Mm. Yes. You yeah. probably knew about that at the time, but. Yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> um, 
so I uh, I left uh, Ubisoft to consider going back to indie games, and I okay. did a band bit with a few things, and this is where I came up with the the idea to do the Chaos Reborn project. So this must have been all in the midst of the XCOM thing. Well, you, yeah. yeah. The, was, when Firaxis announced, actually, I, I was some time ago. I was considering, you know, maybe I should try and do a remake of the original UFO. But as soon as Firaxis um, announced their game, I, yeah. I, I gave that idea up as yeah. a hopeless cause. <laughs> yeah, because they they had this team, they had this passionate group of people, and they definitely yeah. delivered, didn't they? Because you you said it that face to face to them. Yeah, it's yeah, just, it's very good. Very good. Very good I, what they did, and it and it's really put the. Uh, um, put turn-based strategy games back on the map. You know, it's back yeah. in people's conscience again, and it's 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 planted the flag. It's it's um, you know conquered some territory. I personally think a lot of the thanks also is given to the rise of tabletop game. You may not agree, but I, I play a lot of them now over the last five years. Yeah, reawaken my you know affection for them, and like on Saturday, no, Sunday, yeah, it's yesterday, at the time of recording this show, I paid five board games yesterday. All right, yeah. Um, Lucky you. (laughs) you I'm I'm part of a board game group in here in London, which is like the biggest in the world, and they meet up seven days a week, and they have like 65 people show up every day. Oh, Um, brilliant. It's amazing. That would be heaven for me. Yeah, it's just amazing. And the stuff we played, we played, you know, Pandemic, we played um, um, uh, Elder Sign. We won both times. I was really happy. Uh, And we played this amazing, like, spell-casting wizard game where you're casting spells at each other, which is very (laughs) similar to what we're about to talk about today. Um, But only rather than summoning monsters, you're actually just casting spells at each other with these amazing cards. I'll, I'll talk about it after the show. I'll send you a link to it. It's one of, the, yeah, one of the funniest games I've ever played in my life. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we just do that. And we just it's a lovely experience because we can play all sorts of games uh, over a period of a day. And, like, okay, well, that's the end of our... I mean, we don't get drunk or anything like that. We just order food and, and drink because it's in a pub. Because pubs right. are a load of tables. Right. So we just, <laughs> we're fed yeah, and watered sounds, while we're there. You know? Sounds absolutely brilliant. I'll, and I'll, have to, I'll have to visit it if I'm over in London sometime. Yeah, it's 60 people show up. <laughs> And we have to we people have to pre book two weeks in advance. To really, get in. it's that oh, popular. My goodness me! Yeah. <laughs> so and well, it's like, how shows they're onto something. But I mean, you know, the resurgence of board games is is really fascinating to me because I think, yeah. you know, I mean, it's not a technology thing after all. But no, you know, the the innovation in um, board game and board game design over the last you know ten years has been just amazing, stunning. Thanks, Settlers. Amazing. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yes, the Settlers of Catan, I guess, was the one which kind of first, yeah, really sort of, uh, and yeah, planted it on the map. But I, I actually would say technology is no part. Actually, you know, the internet is is part of it because you mm. know we've got your fabulous sites like Board Game Geek, which really spread. Oh, the, I mean, uh, awfully designed, but doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just so good. Yeah, it's... but the amount of information there is just oh, phenomenal. Stunning. So it's my it's my favourite website. Yeah, it is, even though it's so bad. It doesn't matter. Because <laughs> sometimes it just crashes my like, sorry, I'm done. I can't, I can't read this. Um, so we talked about how you started out and who you are, Mr. Gollop, and your brother, of course, and how you mm. worked your way and, and, and making these amazing turn-based games and really got a handle on, on that side of things and making 
these extraordinary strategy games that have so much depth that ostensibly looks very simple, easy to master, very, very so easy to learn, very, very difficult to master without the hex patterns. Go you. Um, <laughs> uh, but what are your influences? My my influences really go all the way back to my teenage years, really, fundamentally, with um, a lot of Hex Encounter war games that I played, especially from SBI and Avalon Hill. Um, And, of course, Dungeons & Dragons. I was playing Advanced Dungeons. Did you play Warhammer or not? I I never played Warhammer at the time. No. No, No, I kind of regard it as a rather expensive hobby. I I kind of... um, I think Warhammer though came out in uh, about 1983. Am I? Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's the time when I was actually getting into computer games and um, you know thinking about designing stuff for computer games rather than board games. So I I kind of felt that I'd moved on at that stage. Of course, I've since come back to board games in a big way because I'm playing them. Me getting a tape measure out. I'm I'm saying sorry, we're done. (laughs) What do you you do? Put put it down. Put it down. And then that's it. I'm, I'm sort of I, I, my my patience sort of expended. This is, <laughs> this is someone who, who plays the um, this the Star Wars miniature game, like with little ships flying around. Oh, yeah, I've played that recently. Yes. Yeah, that's got yeah. little measures. Yeah, I, I say, but I said no. I like yeah, it's great. It's great. I, I I think it's fantastic. It does actually feel like you're dogfighting. But uh, uh, anyway, um, so so yeah, so the board games were a big influence on me. Um, okay. And there were I played so many of them. I, I, some that I stood out for me were these sort of grand strategy games, which which were kind of virtually unplayable but fascinating. Yeah, the original Civilization, I believe, it was like that. Was, yeah, well, I played. Yeah. yeah, I played that. We, we actually, yeah, we played that quite a lot. But I mean, I'm talking about something even more complex. Um, oh. Freedom of the Galaxy <laughs> was a game that that really stood out for me as uh, epic. Okay. What uh, about June? So, Did you play June? Dune, yeah, I've, I've still got it. I've still got my copy of Dune. Um, yeah, I, I've played Rex, which is the reimagining of it. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, so it's Fantasy Flight made, because they made Twilight Imperium, and then they made yeah. Rex, which is Dune without the mythology of Dune, which you and I are familiar with. Right. Uh, so the Bene Gesserit replaced with Turtles. Uh, it's, yeah, it really doesn't quite work for me. <laughs> exactly. Like, I can't relate to turtles i can relate to Benny Gesserit, but turtles yeah. <laughs> anyway but no, anyway yeah no. i mean yeah dune was one of our favorite multiplayer games i seem to remember and uh, and also cosmic encounter i don't know if you remember oh, that one was, i do yeah. know that i've played it very a lot but i do think it could generate into an argument rather than a game <laughs> <laughs> yes yes yeah i mean we played it and it was kind of fun but we, we couldn't really play it for very long i'm afraid <laughs> no because it's just yelling you know because that if anyone's played the cosmic encounter and when you fans out there i know a lot of big fans with that game but for me i just degenerates into but you promised <laughs> yeah yeah so i i was into i mean i i kind of was really into the science fiction although i played lots of historical games the science fiction games and fantasy games were were more influential to me and uh, i remember subscribing to this magazine called aries okay which was uh, again made uh, published by spi and it had a magazine every month with a game in it every month uh and there was some really interesting stuff there i only lasted a year that magazine so these were all my early influences on on my game design really and nothing from the computer world, of course, because when I was started my career, there really wasn't anything around um, in video games that was really that similar to what I was doing. There's, I mean, I'm trying to think of the similar sort of games around that time. I mean, 
There was stuff like Berserk, but that's not the same thing at all. No. Well, a really influential and inspirational game to me um, at the time, I think I was working on Chaos at the time, if I, if I remember correctly, was um, The Lords of Midnight by Mike Singleton. Yeah, that's uh, the game. Well, I'll we'll talk about it later because I want to talk about my own history of Chaos <laughs> okay. and why certain things. Yeah, Lords of Midnight, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just yeah. amazing. I thought it was it's absolutely amazing at the time. Jaw-dropping yeah. To this day. I still think yeah. it is to this day. Yeah. Um, for me, that was more impressive than Elite, for example. I, I, I also believe that to be too, but Elite was different, impressive in another way. Thanks to that, we have GTA. Is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? I don't know. It probably is a good thing. <laughs> um, I was thinking it's the direct lineage. But, um, so it's definitely those war games, those like, you know, yeah. games like Ogre and stuff like that. There's yeah, Ogre, yeah. I remember, yeah. Fond yeah. memories of that one. Yeah, uh, and it's been re-released recently in this big mammoth sort of furniture box type thing. Yeah, um, seen, yeah. Yeah, so moving on from that, who is any particular company or person you've admired? I mean, you've you mentioned Mr. Singleton, sadly he's not yeah. with us. Mike Singleton stands out as an early one for me, for sure, mm. especially in video games. But um, later on, I think Sid Meier would be perhaps oh, yes. his biggest single <laughs> uh, influence and inspiration. I mean, the, the influence of there is a big influence of civilization on the design of XCOM. Uh, although completely different games in many ways, but there there was a significant influence there because. Um, yeah, we were trying to create a this feeling of a grand strategy game in in the same way that you know Sid Meier's Civilization was this just amazingly huge scope of a strategy game, and you know we had uh, we had our, our Euthopedia in in XCOM, which was this kind of equivalent of the Civilopedia. So there were kind of um, some strong influences to to make a game as you know deep and as grand. As as civilization, so yeah, Sid Meier is 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 perhaps the uh, the standout influence there. I still remember because I played the UFO Enemy Online, Enemy Unknown, as you say, uh, on my twelve hundred, um, Amiga, Amiga yes. twelve hundred, um, and I remember just it was it was a great machine for for its time. Um, I'm not sure how you found working on it, but it was—I thought it was amazing—and to see that globe spinning around for the first time, yeah, that was like, oh my god, this is way bigger than I thought it was. You know, yeah. I just thought yeah. because every screenshot I saw generally was about the bulk of the game, which was the you know the squad-based mechanics of you taking out aliens and stuff. Uh, but uh, for me, when you spun that globe around, you actually realised how big this game was. Yeah, that's right. Your the entire planet is yeah. your 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 game board, if you like, and it's um, well initially anyway, and then it, yeah, well, it's just not. Maybe we could, <laughs> can we spoil it after all these years? Um, I think we can get away with that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it did freak me out. We go, okay, now you're going to Mars. You know, it was just like, okay, let's go to Mars. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I um, for me, I mean, for my own personal highlights of that game, when you get to the point where um, I, I got so powerful that I could fly up in the air 
and take down when you took down a spaceship and then blow the blow the roof off the top of the spaceship with a missile and then throw a missile in the spaceship wiping out ooh, maybe six out of seven creatures in there yeah. <laughs> it was yes. fabulous yeah. just the feel of empowerment but to get to that stage took a long time Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was very rewarding. You felt like you were taking over the world until you got to Mars, because then it got really nasty with the psychic attacks. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that was probably one of the less balanced uh, aspects of the game. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, when we were making it, and the last three months of production, you know, I, I had no idea how long the game would take, and I was worried that the pace was too slow. Right. Um, I, I didn't have a good idea of the sort of balance in the end game if you like um because we were just um crunching yeah. away 10 hours a day just trying to fix bugs and get the mm-hmm. basics of uh, you know everything working smoothly and it was a you know a desperate last uh, couple of months working on on, on the project but it's not like now. It's the, it, it, you have play testing and beta testing and all that sort of stuff. Whereas back then, you probably had that, but not nearly as broad because there was no internet no. really. No, so, when we uh, when we were in those last three months, we were actually working uh, in house at Microprose and Chipping Sobri, and we were working very closely with their QA team. There, there was I think four of them who were on the projects um, pretty much permanently at the end there. So that was very helpful, but it, you know, it still wasn't enough because the game was, you know, that big and that complex that to really try and play through it every time you make major changes to, you know, the parameters of the, uh, you know, the game data, um, it was just an enormous, uh, task. So yeah, it, it, it was a difficult game to make. Yes. And even and just just not to say just as if, but it was difficult to complete. I do remember my my chief dude, my my big person. I, I put, poured so much effort into. She just collapsed onto the onto the desert floor as she's being attacked by these psychic. Like she could do nothing. She had no defense against it. And like no, <laughs> but uh, we won. But oh, it was it was a uh, great cost. Anyway, yeah. any other influences more contemporary than Sid? Like I say, Sid's not contemporary because he's still knocking around, of course. Well, nowadays, my, my, yeah, my recent influences, well, actually, kind of, I still go back to some, some board game designers as being, as being really, I think, really stand out with, okay. uh, you know, just you know, pure mechanics, you know, like some of the Reiner Knizia stuff. Mm. Um, or Martin Wallace, for example. Um, yes. The guy I... I greatly admire i played quite a few of his games over the years i like the Discworld game he did uh, i haven't actually walk. played that one i must admit oh, um, it's, uh, if you ever I, do come over to london let me know and then we'll play it because it's really good yeah but <laughs> i i've yeah i think i've played some of his early games and it was uh, you know he's, he's he's just an amazing designer and mm. I, I i still think the the standards of you know the game design ability of the best board game designers is is far better than than anything in uh, the computer and video games world. To be honest, when they do it well, um, when they do when it they, well, yeah. When they I'm do it badly, it's like oh god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, okay, it's, it's, yeah. You, you, there's been games where I'm going never again. <laughs> <laughs> I won't mention them. It's yeah. not fair, but uh, it's not a board game show. But now. Speaking of games of playing, um, I do like asking this of developers what they're playing because yeah. it gives me an idea of. I mean, I know what we're working on Chaos Reborn, but what, what do you? What's? I mean, you, I, I remember you, you were talking on Games with Jobs the other week about uh, was it? Um, was it? Oh, Calculord. Calculord. Oh my goodness! Yeah, that's <laughs> a real 
that's becoming a bit of a real brain bender, but it's it's pretty good because I I, I like the uh, the innovative um, calculator method for summoning your your troops and your units. <laughs> I think the humour in it is just as funny. It's just it's written, bizarre. Yeah, it's bizarre. presented in this strange Nez thing, which I can't really relate to because well, you and I are British. But anyway, so but you can see you recognise it. It's this Nez sort of like, but uh, yeah. They, taunt you like oh you some sort of moron why can't you like come on just how how am i still a, how am i still alive here come on do do <laughs> it's just like what yeah. but um yeah it's you do need to have really good grasp of mental arithmetic i think yeah so um well it keeps me on my toes yeah <laughs> <I> say. <laughs> Any, anything else uh anything else very recently um i can't remember what what I've been playing and because it's actually about a couple of weeks since I've had a chance to really play very much at all. Yeah. Um, I say Skulls of the Shogun, I have been playing through that one. That's again, That's we've got some very bizarre, very bizarre humor in that one. <laughs> yeah. I remember downloading that at uh, some conference. I was, I was working away at some conference and someone said, Oh, you should play this. So I took a break and I found myself taking a longer break than I should have done. Yeah. Uh, Cause it runs on my laptop. My laptop's about five years old, but it's, I've got an SSD in it and it flies now and, yeah. it, and it runs on that machine. It's great. It's uh yeah, good game, but crazy. You're right. You're eating That's people's good, skulls. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's crazy. And uh, I mean, I've been playing it on my iPad. It works, you know, rather nicely. Right, yeah. Rather good, rather well. Um, what else have I been playing? Out There is another one I've been playing on You're my iPad. You're playing Out There as well. Oh, I, Well, I downloaded it. I started it, but I, like I said, I haven't been able to go back to it for a couple of weeks. So I've played, oh. I've played a few games of it. And, you know, each time I play it, I just discover something new and I, I get a bit better at it. So yeah. it's kind of like a... I guess it's a bit like an FTL. Um, it's FTL light. light. Yeah, it's yeah. a light version of that because you don't have so much micromanaging stuff at all, no. really. And you do. It's get... very simple, really. It's a very simple game. But um, it's, you have that's... to. Uh, it does get a bit of a uh, well, uh, a little bit of a mind fuck if you like, because you because of just lack of space in your cargo. <laughs> well, there's that, um, but it's also this constant battle of. Fuel. I'm oh, running out of fuel, of course. Fuel. So it's the big problem, yeah. And then, but you use all your hull up to get the fuel because you're going to gas giants. And, and it, it, you have to reach yeah. that, that very sweet spot of you because your first ship is terrible and it gets just destroyed by everything. And then eventually you take over other ships, um, which I found to be much better. Yes, um, I've, I've been in a situation where I've had much better ships. Um, yeah. It's, <laughs> Yeah, but it's you can tell the the the, the developer is he's French, I think, or it might be French Canadian. I think he's French, uh, and uh, he's not his first. La- English isn't his first language, so some of the English right. is like, oh, <laughs> you might. No, but it's surprising what they managed to do with some very simple graphics, mm. uh, uh, simple text, and actually a relatively simple game design. It's actually quite an atmospheric game. You know, it does give you a feeling of being lost in space. It does. It's definitely it keeps on. I, I just can't stop playing it. It's the one game that's managed to pull me away from threes. Oh, really? Well, I'm playing <laughs> that one as well, actually, yes. Yeah. And threes uh, is a real mind one. job as well. It's like, hang on, I don't have yeah. a plan here. I was shuffling them all into a corner. Because you're basically massaging everything into a corner, trying to get them all. And that's what yeah. I tried to do anyway. And it's like, oh, come on. What does the 14? No, sorry, the 24 come from? Don't don't do that. Don't. <laughs> it's a great game, and it's 
quite compulsive. I, I, you know, the scores I get seem to be a little bit random. Sometimes I do very well, sometimes I do very bad. They are generally improving, but you know, there seems to be a bit of randomness in, in is, what you with it. I mean, there's meant to be some sort of like projection what you can do next. I'm thinking, oh, really, really? I think it's just... Sometimes I do fantastically well, and sometimes you like you say, like yeah, three hundred and twenty-three. Yes. What? <laughs> but anyway, it's a very, it's a very nice and compelling game, and uh, you know, I mean, I, I I do like puzzle games occasionally, and and you know, if they're well designed, it's it's really cool. Yes. Speaking of really cool things, hey, I'm good at this. <laughs> Let's move on to the second half of this lovely show, yeah. where we talk about Chaos Reborn. Chaos Reborn. Julian, tell us about this. Chaos Reborn is based on uh, a game I made 30 years ago. Can you believe that? Really, that's amazing. Yeah, that <laughs> so, is quite quite shocking. But the thing is about the original Chaos um, is that it was this kind of very unusual board gamey game which worked really well in multiplayer and it had an AI also which kind of made it this almost combination of um, co-op, uh, competitive, single-player game, and it was quite unusual for games of that time. And it was actually based on on a board game that I made. So a couple of years earlier, I so I'd can you sort of tell us how it works? Yeah. So the basic premise is that yeah. of the original case is that you you are a wizard. You've got right. a small selection of of randomly selected spells and. You have to use those spells to uh, defeat your enemy wizards to kill them. Right. And a number of the spells are creature summoning spells, and a number of other spells have some direct effects, you know, direct attacks and magical attacks. And then there are some weird and wonderful spells like the gooey blob that you summon, and it just spreads and engulfs enemy creatures, but it moves randomly. Uh, or the you know the magic wood which um, can get you extra spells if your wizard sits in a tree for a while, and it was just kind of uh, like this amazing mix of randomness and tactics where every game you played was quite different, and um, it made it kind of quite exciting because uh, each game was you weren't entirely sure what was going to happen. You can't predict. I mean, from one turn to the next, things could change a little bit, could change dramatically. And I say it works very well as a multiplayer game. It, the mechanics were very simple. I say it was based on a board game as well, so it, it, it kept the simplicity of, of the board game. So I did introduce some interesting um, features in the game design. One was the ability to summon creatures as illusions. Now, normally for each spell, you've just got a casting chance. So, you know, the really powerful spells are difficult, really difficult to cast. Uh, and the, They could fizzle out then. Yeah, yeah. And if you, if you cast a spell, you lose it. So um, what you could do with a creature is summon it as an illusion. You get 100% chance of, of summoning it. 
But every wizard has a disbelieve spell, which is a, a permanent spell. And uh, if a wizard casts disbelieve on one of your creatures and it turns out to be an illusion, it will just vanish in, vanish in a puff of smoke. So there was a bit of bluff and deception involved there, and this is a feature I introduced in the, in the computer version. And the, the other interesting part of the strategy is this balance between law and chaos. So uh, about a third of the spells are law spells, about a third are chaos spells, and a third are neutral. So if you cast a law spell, it would shift the balance of the universe towards law and make law spells easier to cast. If you cast chaos spells, it would shift it back towards chaos, and then it would give chaos spells a bonus. Uh, and neutral spells were totally unaffected and had no effect on the game, uh, on the balance, I mean. So um, this also gives rise to a number of strategies. Like you can try and push the balance of the universe in one direction because you, you might have a lot of chaos spells, for example, and you've got some really difficult to cast chaos spells when you've got that red dragon. So you start summoning your zombies and your goblins to try and push it there. Maybe you summon them as illusions just to try and guarantee you're pushing it towards chaos more more easily. Um, and and that can be a bit of a battle as well. The, the other player might be trying to go the same way as you, or he might be trying to do the opposite thing, or he might be having more neutral spells and not, not being able to, to stop you going towards chaos or whatever. So it, um, it added a, another element to the strategy. And the, the other thing I, I think that um, made it slightly stand out is you could have up to eight players in a game, and any or all of them could be AI controlled. So it's common for people to play it with, you know, two or three human players and then um, have some AI players in there. So the human players would try and get rid of the AI players and then they fight each other. And uh, and that made for also an interesting variation in, in gameplay. So that was the original Chaos. And it was published initially by Games Workshop in 1985 and didn't really sell very much. I didn't get much money for it. Oh. Um, but then I, uh, after publishing well, Rebel Star with Firebird, yeah. I showed that exploded chaos. Didn't it? well for Spectrum, didn't it? Really, Rebel Star was yeah. was, was did very well actually. Yeah, very well. Yeah, um, and I, I proposed them to publish uh, Chaos, which they did also. That came out on the Firebird label. It did did reasonably well. Uh, not as well as Rebel Star. Was that a 199 game, was it? Or yeah, was these it, were 199 uh... games, yeah. So they're very right. cheap. And I was only got like 10 pence royalty per cassette. Yeah, but they um, sold bucket loads. I remember. Yeah, I remember my... Well, I was a teenager I, at the time. Yeah, uh, they did. My first royalty check for Rebel Star was, uh, and I remember this quite clearly, it was, was over £6,000. <laughs> <laughs> Which meant that it had, you know, in three months it had sold. And that's after tax, was it, or was yeah. it? No, yeah, it might be. Uh, yeah. Well, no, it's, it's, no. it's my royalty, not, not after yeah. tax. No. Yeah. So six thousand pounds, and um, which meant that it had sold. You know, over sixty thousand units within yeah. months, which is quite you know. But those like, those tapes yeah. are everywhere. You could go into Boots yeah. and buy them. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah, yeah. So you know, that kind of worked. It was good. I was quite yeah, happy it did with work. that. Good work. Um, but with chaos, uh, I then. Later, it became a cover tape on, on your Sinclair, not once, but uh, twice. And I think this is where most people were exposed to it. Hmm. And obviously, I didn't make any money from that. And I, I had no immediate reaction from players about the game uh, until you know years later when I started getting a um, number of requests from people to... to for me to give them permission to make clones of the game, to make yeah. it a remake. Right, and I started getting uh, you know five to ten requests per year, 
And I thought this is very odd, something very strange going. There's something enduring about this game which people are not getting from any other game that's been coming out. Mm. And um, and so it's been, it was bugging me that I really need to go back and revisit the original design of Chaos and figure out what made it work so well and what made it fun mm. and maybe try and do something with it. Um, this kind uh, of leads me to my first question, mm. specific question about the game. It's, the game's over 30 years old. And what aspects of the original game have you you believe has stood the test of time? And what aspects of like no, <laughs> that doesn't work anymore? Is it, I mean, just be honest about it. It's like yeah, that was cool at the time, but we could do better now. Yeah, I think what was cool was just the core mechanics uh, right. and the fact they were so simple, and you had all these interesting spells and. Um, there was a, the element of randomness was was certainly quite high, but I think that's what what made you know gave it its charm, if you like, its attraction that it that it could um, allow players to have a fun game, even if someone was better than somebody else. They st- you know they still have a chance to to win. Mm-hmm. I mean, a better player would tend to win for sure. Um, but there were but times when it was on the yeah, back you can't board. guarantee it now. No. So this is what I I looked at and thought, well. Uh, you know the core mechanics are great, but um, to to bring it up to date with Chaos Reborn, I I wanted to retain that that feeling of the game, which is a really quick playing turn based game, which is you know another thing which is I thought was quite um, appealing or valuable, is because you know turn based games have this reputation of being a bit dull and drawn out, and mm-hmm. um, you know a bit like watching paint dry if you have to watch one. So I I wanted to keep the um, the quick, fun game gameplay element from from the original Chaos, uh, maybe you've improved on it slightly. Okay. So, um, but I did want to expand on it. I did want to add more depth to the game. So it's, it's kind of expanded in several ways. It's expanded sort of like horizontally with extra features and multiplayer modes. So you got online multiplayer, uh, and then it, I, I'm adding a whole new uh, single player mode to. Um, Chaos Reborn, which is where you're, which is kind of like an RPG system, a systemic uh, and procedurally generated RPG system. Mm-hmm. Uh, you start as a, um, a lowly wizard with few spells, and your objective is to explore these realms of chaos uh, to gain experience and artifacts and win lots of battles. And these realms are offered to you each day. You will, you will get um, you know, a few new ones that will appear uh, generated by our central server. Uh, and when you enter a realm, it's like a, it's a big land and you're exploring different regions with mountains and forests and citadels and, and uh, ruins and stuff like this. Uh, and each region, you might find an enemy wizard, a wizard lord you have to defeat. And your ultimate objective is to f- defeat all the wizard lords and then the wizard king who rules over the realm and you can win some treasure and artifacts. But you find things that can help you on your way. You find... Uh, traps and ambushes you can go to towns and buy stuff because it's got an economic system and you can equip your wizard also with with some equipment so i'm adding an equipment system so this um this is kind of all added on on top of the 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 base sort of combat system and the reason you could do that is because you now have a bottomless pit of memory (laughs) uh well yeah of course yeah (laughs) 
Yes. I mean, that's, that's basically back in the day. It was how much memory did you have access to on a Spectrum? It wasn't 48. It was it no, was, because was, about 7K was reserved for the screen memory. It's around 41K. <laughs> 41, yeah. yeah. The, yeah. the OS, well, OS, well, the operating system, no, ROM, the basic ROM, that was another thing anyway, yeah. wasn't it? So Yeah, there's a 16K ROM, which was, yeah. was mostly useless to, to um, people making games on, yeah. on the Spectrum because... You know, you had to. I think I, I made use of the tape load and save functions in the ROM. <laughs> That's uh, it. But certainly none of the graphics functions. You know, everything no. had to be coded from scratch in ZA right. language. Yeah, uh, as machine coders have known in those yeah. days. Yeah, but exactly. uh, yeah, but exactly. I just wanted to know. So that's what I'm getting out is that you've got the core game there. It's fine. Let's add all this stuff, but not yeah. for the last. Last thing we want to do is for the sake of it to the point it gets so buried that oh, we've lost our. It lost our yeah. focus there, and it looks like you're carefully doing that. So just to build a a nice shell around, not a shell, but a nice um, structure around a core foundation. So. Yeah, that's the and right that's, way to put it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have changed some things about the arena battles. I mean, the original game, the arena was uh, it was a, a black space. I mean, it, was, it was yeah empty. Um, I mean, it did fill up with interesting animated little sprites. Uh, but when you you know when you first look at the game, it's perhaps the most unimpressive looking computer game you've ever seen. It wasn't Lord of the Rings. No, no. Um, but yeah, but I had this idea what was, that, yeah. that the uh, now one reason I kept the arena black was because I, I wanted players to focus on the creatures, and it was the creatures and and the you know the gooey blobs and all the other things of someone that I wanted to stand out. And I had this idea that everything must be animated. Uh, and uh, you know, characterful and stand and and colourful. So um, this desire to have everything animated was was uh, I, I thought it was quite radical at the time, but maybe it doesn't look so impressive looking back on it. Uh, no. But with the new Chaos Reborn, we will again. I will try and pursue this this objective of having a lot of animation for the creatures and spells. In the game, so that to, to make uh, what is this, you know ostensibly a you know a sort of almost chess-like turn-based game to to be more lively and and uh, interactive. Yeah. So my, my the third question to you is really about well, I've been reading about the, the community aspect, the online aspect of the game, which clearly wasn't minor, was was wasn't present in the original. No. Though there was online sort of stuff back BBS stuff back in the spectrum, but that was very very small audience, so it really wasn't something that was tangible back then. Although you could have used an interface one with a further network thing, but no one did that. Um, so what what um, what can you tell us about what you're doing with the multiplayer community? Because you seem to be doing a lot. Yeah, so this is actually yes, one of the most exciting things about what I'm trying to do with Chaos Reborn. So I'm trying to integrate, in a way, the different aspects of the game, the single player, the multiplayer, uh, and, and co-op, because that's a big feature of the game. So um, there will be, you know... Uh, one-off multiplayer battles that you can fight. There'll be ranked. There'll be a ranking system uh, divided into leagues using like an LA rating system. So, if you're a multiplayer-focused gamer, you can try and improve your uh, Wizards multiplayer rating, uh, and you can win um, awards of gold and equipment if you reach the top of your league. And there will also be tournaments, the sort of knockout tournaments, which will be relatively quick to set up and, and play, but they'll have prizes as well. Uh, and will be some different multiplayer modes. Some are constructed modes where you're constructing uh, your spell deck, if you like, and your equipment from from the stuff that you've earned in the single player game. Okay. 
Uh, so there is some feedback from doing your single yes. player stuff. Oh, that's very right. good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, cool. absolutely. So, um, yeah, they feed back into each other as well. I mean, you can win equipment through multiplayer play only, um, and you can do it through single player. But you know, whatever equipment and spells you you get and learn, you can you can use in both single player and multiplayer. Uh, some of the multiplayer modes are what I call for um, people who want an absolutely fair fight. They're symmetrical modes. So the symmetrical mode is where you have uh, a random set of spells given to each player, but each player then has to discard uh, around a third of his spells, for example, uh, and then go into the arena. Um, and there's a classic chaos mode, which is very similar to the original chaos, which is just completely random selection of spells, a fairly blank arena, and, and wizards who are pretty much all even with each other. Um, in the single player, though, um, there is a co-op option, uh, which is interesting because when you're exploring a realm of chaos, you uh, can invite a friend to help you with a battle. Could be any battle. Could be. Oh, very Dark Souls like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and the idea is uh, that you you ideally should join a guild, and, right? Because in a guild you have access to communicate directly with all the guild members, and you can trade equipment and with the guild members, and you can trade realm maps. So you can trade uh, information about realms you can you can say to some of your other guild members look i think you if you want this piece of equipment this rare piece of equipment which i found in this realm you should visit it but you should go here and here and do this and this uh and avoid this and you can um help your other guild members that way so it's like the unseen university only not as crazy <laughs> yeah and not obsessed with the number eight or not it's a case <laughs> <laughs> I suspect when when this uh, kicks off, there will be some un- unseen university guild names pro- cropping up. I am sure there will, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> see, the, the um, there's also a, a kind of like a feudal hierarchy in the game, which is okay. in our Kickstarter rewards. Um, so, I mean, you start off as an apprentice, but if you if you do well enough, and your wizard level goes up to certain, there's several qualifying criteria to to be promoted to a wizard lord. But once you become a wizard lord. You can then um, configure your wizard with spells and equipment and have him be a uh, wizard that is encountered by other players exploring realms. Right. And, um, I mean, if your wizard does well in these battles, he can learn experience points and gold. Um, but it's all down to how well you configure him, of course. You've got some basic AI configuration, but it allows you to, to have some, like, if you like, uh, offline play, and your wizard can be doing stuff when you're, when you're offline. Even uh, online. Nice. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, but if you, oh, no, well, if you do well enough at that, you can then qualify to become a wizard king. And um, as a wizard king, you can be a character, again, which is encountered by other players ruling over a realm. But the cool thing you can do here is that you can actually create your own realms. And um, other players will rate them purely for fun factor. And if you, you, know, if you get quite... You know, and you can also when you when you create your realm, you can do some interesting things like add some puzzles and scrolls and um, a bit of humor if you want. You know, you can try and make it interesting for players because they're going to rate you on on how interesting and fun your realm is, uh, not how difficult or easy it is. But of course, you don't want to make it too difficult, too easy. Yeah. Um, so I mean, for me, one of the highlights of when you used to create the content and from my personal experience, I never forget when uh, I was playing Star Wars Galaxies. There's a, there's a relevance to this, but uh, we went to a shop 
and uh, one of the announcers walked in and said, this is a local shop for local people. Get out. <laughs> it's like, oh, good Lord. Popular reference there. But use your very creative content like that. But you, for you, you're describing it there as you have to earn the right to do it. Yes. Because in order to do that, in order to make good content, you have to have done all of this thing, played the game a heck of a lot before you even get anywhere near being able to edit yeah. your own realms. Yeah, but makes time perfect wizard, sense. Yeah, by the time you're Wizard King, you'll be pretty familiar with, with the game. And um, I guess you'd be pretty keen on it as well, which also makes a point. So, yeah, it's kind of a reserved privilege. Uh, I know it might sound a bit unusual, but I, I think, you know, if you're a king of a realm, you get to, you know, you get to create your own realm. So this is this is one thing you do as a, as a king. But again, if you do well enough at that, you can be elevated to being a demigod. And uh, the demigods are the ones that uh, run the guilds. Uh, oh. Possibly, possibly you might rename them cults because um, when you create your guild, when you set up your guild, you have to dedicate your your guild uh, you know, to one of the one of the gods of of the realms of chaos. So I was just thinking, school might be better. <laughs> school, possibly. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. School of Chaos. See, hey, it works. Yeah. Uh, so you you did you, you you pledge loyalty to one of the gods. You try and recruit uh, wizards to your guild. And as I mentioned before, if you if you're in the guild, you can exchange equipment and and share realm maps and stuff, which is pretty cool. Hmm. Um, but of course, there are guild rankings, um, right. which is based on how well all the members of guild are doing. Uh, and as a demigod, you need to try and improve your your guild rank. And if you do this uh, well enough, you may may possibly be elevated to the role of a god. <laughs> and as and a this, god, the, right, as a god, go on, <laughs> And as a god, you you you're, I guess you kind of your main objective is to attract worshippers and followers, which gives you power to then bestow blessings and um, favors uh, to your favored followers to you know help help them do well so you're aiming to increase your influence by increasing your followers as a god um and and that's pretty much as high as you're going to go but of course you can go down as well but uh, yeah yeah so i'm trying to put this uh kind of social structure in the game which is built into the mechanics of the game and we'll we'll see how it works it'll be an interesting experiment but i i do like this kind of feature in games which has uh you know cool stuff that you can discover and do as a consequence of your you know of the social structure of the game not not just some some hard you know figures you know um and it and it's i i think it will um result in an experience for players which is you know got many different aspects to it but of course if players just want to focus on multiplayer or if they just want to focus on single player or just want to focus on one-off hot seat chaos battles they can do that if they wish it's not a problem focusing on the actual core of the game back itself it's one of the questions i like to ask uh, developers is if approaching the game for the first time what is the best tip just the one you can offer a new player or to, to guarantee well not guarantee but improve their chances of success uh, okay, remember your wizard is vulnerable and just keep him out of reach. <laughs> right, of, he's a, uh, so he's, he's a cloth wearer. So I, when I was playing World of Warcraft, I was a cloth wearer. In fact, I was a priest. I knew very well to stay out of, like, but I kept on yell, no touching, no touching. And, well, uh, yeah, the, yeah, I think the other thing to bear in mind is that you right. need to know when to take risks and when to try and avoid risk. 
Okay. And it can be a fine balance because sometimes you need to switch from one to the other. Quickly. Yes, especially if you suddenly get behind in, in victory points and it's nearing the end of the game because there's a turn limit. You probably need to think about switching. This is a mistake I often make in this to still keep making in the game is that you know you, you need to go on the offensive very rapidly when you need to. Um, and you so need to save some spells to, to enable that as well. And it's kind of, uh, uh, again, something I still haven't got right in some of the games I've been playing. Right. So it's knowing the attack really is the best form of defense sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But it's it's you say that it's easy to say it, but <laughs> it's just it just uh, you think attacking is actually opening yourself up as well. So that's yeah. that fine line. Um, okay. Well, that's that's great. But I think your your fundamental tip: stay the no touching is is fantastic. It's <laughs> yes. just, I mean, I'm playing a wizard at the moment on Diablo three, and it's exactly that. Just get away! No touching. In fact, all the skills that are available to you are all about pushing creatures away from you. It's very, very, very clever. Um, there's one final sort of quirky question I've got for you because this has been Chaos Reborn has been um, crowdfunded yes. on, on Kickstarter and it ends on the 17th of April 2014. We will go through that again right at the end of the show, but I just want to want to state that date again because it's very important. Um, that's a really weird question. I just sort of come over it. What do you think? Video games would be like if that existed in 1983. <laughs> well, a crowdfunding. Yeah, I mean, do, do, how do you think the landscape would be now? That's an interesting question. Um, because yeah, I, some... the thing is that in 1983, I mean, I I was making games in my bedroom on my spectrum while living at home with my mum and dad. Yeah, I I kind of I didn't need funds but you know thinking about it if i had funds i could probably get a team together and i could make something probably more awesome i mean for example i could have concentrated on game design and had maybe a, a better program and just do the programming yeah and you know i i'm sure i could have achieved more because uh, than just working on my own the reason so I'm asking- if it had been possible i i think what it could have done actually at that time is immediately make bigger teams possible rather than bedroom coders. So there could have been loads of oceans as opposed to just one. <laughs> yeah, it could, um, yeah, I think it could have had an impact. Yeah. And seen, you would have seen a, a lot of um, you know, interesting, and there was a lot of interesting stuff coming out at the time. I know a lot of it was, was crap, but I mean... Oh, wasn't it? Wasn't it? <laughs> yes. Oh, God. Well, I know. Uh, there's a tendency to be, to be nostalgic about... Yeah, uh, but if you look yeah, at yeah. The, some of the stuff, oh, God, oh. Some of it was but, awful, yes. Yeah, but, you know, considering the volume, I think I went to World of Spectrum database website lovely website i do love that site and it has like lists of all the games there's ten thousand. they made ten thousand games on the yeah. spectrum yeah and you go well law of averages <laughs> um and bless them they got the used you i think your sinclair top 100 games there and like yeah that makes sense that list looks pretty good to me um, <laughs> um but and uh i know your games are up there which deservedly so and uh um so that was just my little quirky question. Like, I wonder what the world would be like in video game terms if crowdfunding, rather than the traditional method of funding, would have existed back then. Uh, well, you know, I you know, I think it would have improved the quality of games, uh, both in terms of gameplay and, and uh, you know, programming and art. Because uh, you know, one one thing you get from crowdfunding is 
there's a lot of feedback from your backers. And once you release something, say, you know, if you release an early access build, then again, you're going to find out pretty quickly whether your game's good or not. Yeah. Whether you should make fundamental changes or not. I mean, what's um, shocking is the internet did actually exist back then, but not in the kind of fashion <laughs> that we, we knew. I think it was ARPANET back then, and it was pretty yeah. good stuff. Yeah. But it did exist in a form. Um, but only for, for a few universities and stuff like that. So, wow, that connectivity. We take it for granted now, but back then, wizardry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, tell us about this Kickstarter, where we can find about it. Well, if you go to kickstarter.com uh, mm-hmm. and just search for Chaos Reborn, you'll mm-hmm. find out. In fact, if you just put in Chaos Reborn in your search engine, it will probably come out with a Kickstarter page anyway. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, we've been running about a week now and I am very happy to announce that we've just passed the halfway mark, which That's is very really cool. good going. Yeah. I'm in there too. Just a, yeah. transparent to everyone. There's, so, um, I'm not reviewing the games. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to happen. Sorry. <laughs> um, but, uh, someone else in the Spong team will be able to review it, but yeah, um, really, really looking forward to it. Uh, I did know it was on its way, but I didn't know when the, the Kickstarter arrived. And there it was a week uh, a week ago, like at the time of recording. Um, and just the format it's coming on. Currently, it's just on PC, is that right? Ah, no, yes, that's an important point. Yes, it'll be yeah. PC, Mac, and Linux. Good, okay. Uh, we're using Unity 3D Engine, which makes our cross-platform development uh, a lot easier. Yeah. Um, we also have a stretch goal, which will will take us to Android and iOS versions. Right. Uh, if we reach that, um, which would be very cool. Uh, but, I mean, it is a, an additional expense because we have to convert a lot of assets from, you know, PC and, and uh, mobile devices. Will and the interface has not, changed completely. Yeah, it? the interface will probably have a lot of differences so there is there is a significant amount of extra work involved okay well julian thank you so much for your time it's been great chatting to you i wish you the best of luck um be very surprised if it does succeed i'm sure will uh, but like i said best of luck there's always that last thank you push towards the end so yeah. fret not do not do not do not be concerned um uh, it, it'll be fine be fine and like Thanks I said, there's, there's there's a lot of affection towards this particular game, and, and rightly so. So, Julian, Mr. Gollop, thank you very much. Um, well, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. And so ends another episode of The Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review, and you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com, and you can stream the show from there. You just look up The Sausage Factory, and you can find us That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me any feedback on the show, or actually you're a developer, you listen to this show and want your game featured on it, please do email me at chris at spong.com. Bye!